Welcome to Navigating Change, everybody, the podcast from Tybal Inc. I'm Pete Wright, and I'm here with uh, Howard Tybal. Hey, Pete. Howard, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing very well. Here we go. In a world where Howard Tybal wants to talk about change. Inception, am I right? Oh, my God. I am right there. Yeah. I'm right back in yeah. that movie. It was I'm Leonardo good. DiCaprio right now. <laughs> that i love that music <laughs> i did i i found that for you i love that. i found that for you and i thought this is something i need to share with you it's going to be critical for our relationship that's, that's beautiful how are you how's your week are you feeling good are you feeling strong yeah it's been a good week it's been an excellent week and i head off tomorrow for austin texas which i love and uh everything is good but most important we have a special guest right we do. I'm very excited. Before we get to the big introductions, though, uh, we gotta you gotta head over to to learn more about navigating change at tybalink.com, where you can subscribe to the show in email or iTunes or your podcast app of choice, as well as find us on LinkedIn or Twitter. Uh, all that at tybalink.com. This week we are talking about empowerment, specifically what it takes to empower teams to take initiative. Our premise here is that lasting change comes in two parts. First. You have to have a clear vision of where you would like to go with a leadership team aligned behind that mission and strategy to get there. That's something we have talked long about on this show. But second, you have to have a culture that not only encourages but inspires individuals to take action in support of that strategy each and every day. It is from this incremental daily action that sweeping institutional change emerges. So how do you lead from behind and mentor others to step forward? This week, our dear friend of the show, Andrew Menke, joins us from New Hampton School to help once again solve all leadership problems by empowering teams to act. Andrew, welcome back to Navigating Change. Thank you very much. Very happy to be back on uh, the show with you and Howard. A great pleasure. This is going to be very don't exciting. You, don't, wait, 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 don't you love how he sets us up that you're going to have all the answers? He does this to me every week, Andrew. Yep. And it's like, yeah, I got all the answers, right? You're going to have all the answers. Go ahead, Pete. Trying up. to set the bar. Trying to set the bar nice and Very high, high for you guys. Nice yes, and high. Okay. Howard, this one is. Uh, I'm going to. I'm going to put this one on you uh, to to start with because you introduced us, uh, and I believe you sent this to uh, Andrew as well. This concept of the first follower. Yeah. And a video that I know that you have used. Uh, do you want to introduce that concept and talk about how this has inspired you to have this conversation? So basically, the first follower concept is about putting somebody or a group in front. You've got the vision, but instead of saying, I have to tell it, empowering those individuals to step forward and tell it for you. And this uh, first follower video, the dancing guy, is, is a brilliant physical demonstration of it. I'd say in the workforce, in independent schools, in education, because of shared governance and because of the need to include so many others, it has a level of complexity that I think all leaders struggle with. But I think it's a worthy thing to think about and, you know, I think this is something that Andrew, in, in my working with him, has really put an emphasis on, which is how do I get my teams to step forward and lead? Uh, and, and Andrew, my sense is what you do really well with them is that you you really encourage them to say, listen, I don't have the, all the answers. And not only that, I'm willing to experiment you know, those two things, I think, is, are, are a critical a critical success factor. Do you find that people hear you when you say that, or does it feel like people still sit on their hands when, when you put that out there? 
No, I, I, I love the idea of the first follower. In fact, the first time I saw that dancing guy video, and I don't know what the, um, uh, what the vintage is on that, uh, Howard and Pete, but uh, Howard, that might be your vintage uh, as I look at the grainy uh, camera on that. <laughs> but um, but the, um, I, I love that concept because you're, and you're very, very right to recognize independent school environments as very collaborative and and transparent kind of environments in the way that we work together, certainly with students, but uh, with colleagues. And the idea of, of that kind of empowerment, um, and I would go further to say that one of the elements of leadership that, that we really believe in uh, increasingly here now in my 10th year is, is shared and distributed leadership. Um, so that idea where um, there are so many different people and so many different capacities here who uh, can take the lead and they can be the person within the framework of the mission of the school and the, uh, the articulated shared vision to take that next step to try to improve the environment and then bring people along with them. So for us and our leadership team, it's trying to build that kind of bandwidth, that, um, that uh, willingness to take um, the risk in some cases to be the second person to join that person who is at the front. And sometimes that's the person who takes the biggest risk. And then you build as it, uh, you know, with the, with the dancing guy, then you build a movement and you build exactly. that, kind of, that, that kind of energy and momentum um, that can take uh, an organization, you know, from the proverbial good place to, uh, to a great place. So uh, I think it's giving people opportunities as often as you can in every level of the enterprise, um, opportunities to step forward, and then encouraging people to um, to have the courage to to, to join them. I, I want to jump in and give credit where credit is due. The video we're talking about, Dancing Guy, is uh, courtesy of Derek Sivers, founder of uh, CD Baby. He's a local Portland guy. Shout out to my people there. And uh, uh, this video is something he introduced in a TED Talk that he delivered. So we'll put links to both of the, the talk and the Dancing Guy video uh, in the show notes for this episode. I think that the question for me, for, for either of you, is how do you get, how do you then take this, uh, and I like the way you said this, this shared and distributed leadership structure. How do you turn that into frontline inspiration so that people don't feel, like in the Dancing Guy to extend the metaphor, people don't feel how like like it's that weird to step up and be number two. How do you build a culture that inspires people to be number two and number three? Yeah, it's, well, all I'd say as you know, I've got a small organization, and I'm I, and I pay attention to that and see how how. When is the right opportunity to give someone an opportunity to step forward and try something? I just had a conversation today uh, with Gail about that. And and in some ways, what I realized was until I invited her to do it, it wasn't even a conversation that she was thinking about. And and it, it's a bit odd. I mean, she's gonna be she's gonna be remotely having to lead a conversation which I could absolutely handle it myself. But there's a part of me that says, if I'm gonna develop my people then I need to I need to be very intentional, even if it has an element of feeling scripted, to say, I want to put you out front. But I'm not – to your point, Pete, I actually think it is awkward. If you're the first follower, that is – you know, versus just the dancing guy, the shirtless guy, the first follower is a risky role. You, It, it takes courage to be the first follower. There's no way around that. Would you agree, Andrew? 
Yeah, I would agree 100%. Um, you know, there um, that's when you start to begin to ideally build traction for the quote-unquote movement or the you know, the vision or the mission or whatever the initiative is that you're trying to move uh, forward in a positive direction. So I think you're right. I, I just think, um, Pete, that the, the idea that we work with here at New Hampton is the, the notion of engaging as many people in the conversation, uh, and sometimes those people include for us students, um, in the conversation about how we're going to move whatever it is, whatever area of the school needs improvement. And for schools that are devoted um, to getting better, that's probably all areas of student engagement, uh, academically, uh, residentially, because we're a boarding school, whatever uh, the other areas are, and trying to involve as many people as possible in those conversations so that there is um, shared ownership. And I think when there is shared ownership and everybody has a stake in the outcome, because they've spent time um, working on the outcome and what they hope it will be together, then I think it becomes easier to find people who are willing to step forward, Howard, as you suggested, and say, hey, I haven't seen myself as a person who is the dancing guy or is the person who is in a forward position of leadership, but I understand because I have um, shaped um, the, um, the initiatives going forward um, that that's important for me to do. And then I think it becomes easier then to have more and more people become that quote unquote first follower to step forward and say, hey, I too share the burden of moving um, this forward in a way that's going to um, move us closer to the outcome. As you were speaking, I'm thinking, why don't we do this more often? It seems to me the reason we don't do what you just described more is because we're so focused on what we want to get done as opposed to how we want to get things done. Right. This is so much more about the how we want to operate. And I think most of us underestimate the the power of focusing on how versus what and we do this we, we don't focus on it because we're afraid you know we're so focused on getting things done quickly and that's that's the challenge i seem to always have in talking with people uh is is you got to step you got to be willing to have patience right to right, be able, right. but but also some urgency otherwise What's the motivation? I mean, and I would imagine that you know, in your tenure as a as a leader at New Hampton, there are probably more things than not that you just led and you took it on yourself, and it just, in some ways, it's just easier to do. Yeah, but I think that the uh, the traction, ultimately, the deep traction that you get is um, is a lot less. So what what I we like talk that. a lot about here is the intersection between um, process and product, um, and so probably like many many people, I'm a big list maker. Um, have the yellow pad, uh, have some going on my iPad, yeah, uh, right. the, the index card that fits uh, comfortably in my shirt pocket, uh, wherever I can write a note down to myself about something that I want to do. But in order for I think most organizations to realize deep and meaningful, which would be lasting change, uh, heavy emphasis on process and building again that that capacity, that bandwidth uh, in everybody deeply in the organization to see themselves as a leader. And I think the only way to do that is to be very conscious of um, not involving necessarily everyone in every particular decision, but involving the right people 
in every sector of the school uh, to, to, for whom the decision matters, because then you build the expectation um, that people are going to um, be in a leadership position. They're going to join that person in a leadership position as a, as a follower uh, and understand deeply the how and the what and the why. Uh, and that process, I think, is really important. I can think of so many different examples here. Curious to hear one, because lasting change, you just described, you know, I, I think about keeping the trains running, which is really about silos and everybody's doing their own job. You know, we have the people focused on the student. We have the people focused on finance. We have the people focused on enrollment. And it's very much a siloed kind of way of working. And then you're talking about bringing lasting lasting change. What's an area for you where you go, if we really want to create, and I love this idea of uh, deep traction, you know, you, you using that, that terminology, where is this important to have happen in these education environments that you live in? Well, I think back to that deep traction piece, I think there is a, uh, a uh, what ultimately I think we're all trying to create is the kind of culture especially I think in a school where it's a learning environment. It's an environment that yes. should be devoted to constant improvement and evolution. So the adults, I think, have to model that each and every day in the way that they operate in terms of moving the school forward so that um, students who are paying attention, as the two of you know, to everything we're doing all the time are really understanding that uh, this, this school that I'm part of is certainly as I progress through the ninth, 10th, 11th grade uh, up through uh, being prepared for college, uh, through Algebra One, Algebra Two, up through you know uh, IB, HL, uh, um, math, um, that the the place is about this a uh, huge commitment to growth, and the only way I think that it, that that ever gets done is if the adults are really committed to that. So um, it's that really kind of, practicing what you preach. Well, yeah, right. and I think uh, I think in a big way it is. And when you when I think about uh, a, a, a train running on time kind of example for us would be we went through a major calendar overhaul, and there's probably no more important currency for any of us, but especially true in a school than time uh, and the way that we spend our time. And it may seem in a boarding school where there's unending amounts of time, but but time is a real precious commodity uh, for us. Um, so we, when we went through that process, we tried to identify, um, uh, based, based on the good work, Howard, that we've done with you, what are the problem, what is the problem or problems we're trying yes. to solve, and then how is it that we put the constituents who are going to be most impacted by the calendar, and in, in our case, it was both a calendar and a schedule issue, schedule together um, so that they can begin to identify what some of the solutions would be through brainstorming exercises. So that for us, it could have been an easy um, fix for us to get the director of studies, the dean of students, the director of athletics, dean of faculty and head in the same room uh, and hammer through to a point of, um, of completion on the, on the calendar and the schedule. But we chose to bring students, um, a couple of parents, mm. uh, faculty, and even so a how couple did that, of How did staff. that influence, how did involving these other constituents alter the outcome or the thinking? Because uh, I think that's really interesting. I think there's more of that has to happen. It's like there, students are not involved enough in, 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 in administration or academic change, you know, and, and because we think we know what they need. So when you introduce them into, the, into this process, how do you think that helped the process? More than anything else, this is back to the process piece. It reinforced a, a culture of 
collaboration, of inclusion, of, uh, of, of expectation for the responsibility of improvement. And everybody's got to roll up their sleeves and lean in if we're going to get better. And that's just not going to happen otherwise. Um, so that's one. It was a reinforcement, I think, of a culture that I was lucky enough, I think, to inherit here and try to steward going forward. But from an outcome standpoint, it helped us to better understand the kind of rhythms and routines of, uh, of students. So um, there were a couple of mornings that we changed our, um, our, our start time, as an example. Now, we can't, uh, like many schools, we can't uh, necessarily subscribe to all of the um, the, the sleep science around starting classes at 10.30 or 11 o'clock in the morning. We would have mm. a difficult time getting everything done that we would like to get done, but, but we were able to um, start a little later on a couple of days, abbreviate some days, and be sensitive to the ways in which students were being impacted by the calendar in the same way and, and the schedule and thinking about um, um, similar implications to uh, faculty members, to faculty members who are also parents of young children, um, that's very difficult. You introduce all of those voices, as the two of you know, and it, it just exponentially complicates yes. getting to the solution. But ultimately, if all of us, and, and there are some, there are some uh, challenges, I think, that don't lend themselves well to, um, uh, to uh, that um, deep collaborative work. Uh, if there's something that is more emergent that's got to be decided right now, then you then you kind of fall back on a directive leadership style, which says we got to get this thing down now. We have to get a few people in the room and make the decision. But I think often um, my experience here has been we got through some of the directive work that needed to be done uh, early in my time here, and now are in a place uh, I won't say of luxury, but um, but of being able to be um, more patient and continue to help the school community to know that, um, that, that, that we all get better as a result of each individual's effort uh, mm -hmm. in, pushing, you know, in pushing the agenda forward. You, you talk about bringing in students and parents into this process. You find yourself learning anything about your constituent audiences that surprised you? Besides, I think one of the more, uh, it, it strikes me that it may have been predictable when, when people come and say, we should, when students say, we should start later. Uh, that that may not have been a huge surprise, but anything that surprised you in particular about the process as you as you invite these additional constituencies to the table? I think I'm always reassured about the sensitivity to um, to, to to what I would call and put quotes around institutional needs. Um, I, I think I um, uh, am always very very impressed when. There is an assumption at times where all of us are going to represent our own kind of self-centered needs. And part of the reason you bring a constituent in is to represent that constituent's needs. And so if it's a student, you would hope that it's a student voice and a parent-a-parent voice. But there's a great deal of respect for, uh, I think, inherently when you bring someone into a process where they are grateful to have been brought into the process. And so there's a uh, what I was, I don't know if I was surprised by, but again, um, um, reassured by, is the balance between here's what I think would um, be most beneficial for, you know, fill in the blank, the student voice or the parent voice or the, you know, worker faculty person who's got three young children who's shuffling between daycare, the balance between those individual needs uh, and the institutional needs. And it's the same kind of uh, balance, I think, that we all try to strike between uh, the product. We're trying to get to an outcome uh, and the process and being patient enough to hear the hear hear those voices 
because it goes right back to reinforcing the idea that your voice is important. And if people really um, believe that and uh, there's evidence for it, then it becomes so much easier um, to have somebody willingly step into the leadership role um, on large and small issues. Has somebody much more willingly say, I believe in and have had reinforced for me over and over again that my voice is important and therefore that risk of being the first follower is much more tenable to me because I know the school cares about um, my voice and my participation. And, and, uh, and, I, and, I, and to me, it all comes back or so much of it comes back to a level of ownership. Uh, if you ask people their opinion, you engage them in the process of conversation and building whatever the solution is, there is much more likelihood that somebody's going to step in and say, "Okay, I got skin in this. Um, I, I'm 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 going to roll up my sleeves and be that first follower. I'm going to be the person who's going to be the third one in. Uh, but I got work to do here because this is this is a, a large part of this thing is mine." Yeah, but I think what's interesting about this idea of getting people to be first followers is that more often than not, my experience is people won't step forward unless they're truly invited in. It's this interesting disconnect in that the people who are leading or have people that report to them have a presumption very often, and I see this in myself, is I thought I communicated that I'm looking for engagement. Why isn't it happening? And I think we underestimate the cultural pull that we all have to, to wait to sort of understand what is it what is it that's being asked of me? You know, there's an interesting distinction between leading people and managing people. And I've been talking more about this these days, this idea that managers manage tasks and leaders lead people. Leaders don't have subordinates. Leaders have followers. And sometimes I think we, we confuse the need to say, I want you to do something because I said so and I'm the boss. And sometimes people need that. And too often I think we fall into, you know, if, this, if the title of this podcast is Empowering Teams to Take Initiative, I think that's a worthy thing to focus on. The danger of this I've seen is that the the person who has the authority to say, I've heard everybody, here's what we're going to do, here's, here's the hill we're going to take – you you can't give up that responsibility even if you're empowering your teams and 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 I think that that's one of the inherent dilemmas is that we we don't keep both focuses front and center in the same initiative we have to be willing to say I want this to be an engaging process I'm interested in what you all think but we also have to as their leader/manager/being in charge we have to be willing to say to people in the room I'd like us all to do this. I've heard everybody, and I want us all to do this because I say so. No, I, I think you're right. And we did, and I may have told you this, Howard, we did a little bit of uh, leadership development work with an organization called the Hay Group, H-A-Y Group, and had uh, a, a, what I call a friend of the school come in and work with us to try to identify um, natural uh, proclivity and leadership styles and so one of mine um, is naturally, and maybe this is not a surprise to you, is the, the directive style. Um, so that's mm -hmm. the person who comes in and says, hey, I, I think in very short order I have identified the 
a problem or opportunities and here's what we should do and you know let's have a short meeting here to get the strategy in place to um you know to execute the uh you know the um the the try to try to solve the problem and we'll move on and the the so there is i think a danger in um the uh the the um following your natural style i think that is that is what you're inclined um and wired to do and then uh, moving kind of the other side of the or the, the the pendulum swing, which is, well, let's get together and we'll have a discussion on each and every uh, decision that we're going to make and include um, everyone. I would just say that the um, there are and maybe it's just the evolutionary life of you know somebody like me who's been here for 10 years. Um, I find I found that early on in my time here, there was more reason partly due to um, urgency um, and partly due to the circumstance of me being new, there were more circumstances where I found myself saying, I think we need to do this. Um, and I have an, a tendency to say, I think we should, we, we need to do this. Um, what are the three or four solutions that can help us to uh, achieve that goal. So you know what um, I like about that. What I really like about that is because I was just thinking as you were describing your natural style. My guess is for you, practicing patience is 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 something that's really important. Because, but the way you offset that is by both saying, "Here's what I think. Here's here's where I think I'd like us to go. What are three or four ideas?" And to me, that is a a really great bridge between being directive and also being collaborative. Right. And, and, and I love that. That's a really good lesson for anyone listening is this idea that is to find language that allows you in the same kind of conversation to, to be able to demonstrate both leadership from a directive perspective and then leadership from a, I care what you guys think. And I know I don't have all the answers. And I think that's, that's a that's a critical that's a critical takeaway here. The big takeaway for me is, and I don't know that it's necessarily been satisfied here, is this idea that uh, you know if we go back Not to satisfied, you're going to really push us I, now. I aren't am. You? Well, I Come am. On. This Come is on, the do thing. it. Push the envelope. We are talking here about about uh, you know inspiring teams to take initiative. Well, isn't the objective then to have so well communicated your you know the the high level mission and and values of the institution that you really do, as you say, Howard, that you really do get people coming to you saying, "I'm ready to to take this on," or "I had an idea about what we need to do next. I have an idea for the next big thing," rather than look at this from a perspective of of your leadership style, whether it's you know authoritative or inclusive, it's it's more of a question of how have you institutionalized a culture of initiative of saying yeah. anyone in the institution has the creativity, the ability, the knowledge, skills, and abilities to take on an initiative that fits inside of where we want to go of our path. All right, so here's my take, and I'm interested in your take too, Andrew. You know, and I don't think this is being cynical. I think this is. This is recognizing we have to keep making the opportunity available, but it's going to be the case that a subset of the larger group you're inviting into this conversation will step into it, and the majority will not. And I think that's just the nature of the game. Uh, I love the idea uh, that everybody 
ha- will will step in and everyone will be entrepreneurial and everybody will feel connected. But I think the reality of organizations is that you've got people who are champions. You will have a second group that is the majority that will go along, but they need to know why. They need to see the benefits, and, and you need to find a way of engaging them. And then you'll have a small minority that will not go along. They're not interested in change and so on. And I think what we have to do is make this available so more people can step into being champions, but the reality is it's a minority. And 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 I would love the idea that more people take advantage of this, but in practical terms, I, I think that you know, so we don't find ourselves feeling like we failed. If we can get a few people to step up to help lead others, I consider that success. What, Andrew, what's your experience of what really happens when you make this invitation? And if you want to call Howard out on being incredibly cynical and, and kind of a hater, you're more than welcome to do that. I'm hanging up, Howard. <laughs> There we go. Oh, let's go back. You're right. We can do it all. You're absolutely right, both of you. I do, you know, to to work with adolescents. So I spent the last uh, three lunch times meeting with all of our seniors. And I am very, very optimistic about our future. Are all of them going to be the dancing guy or first followers? I sure hope so. And I'm going to believe that they are. And we'll try to track every single one of them you know, in their adult lives. So I have unending optimism, maybe just by virtue of the work that I get to do all day and every day here with faculty who really care about students. Do I agree that there are folks who are naturally inclined to be comfortable more so than others uh, stepping forward? Absolutely. I think there's a certain element of human nature that plays into uh, all of this. But I think uh, culture trumps all of that. And Pete, I think your question is a really good one to hold us accountable for, for actually addressing the topic uh, of the <laughs> podcast, uh, which is how you build that kind of culture of, of, um, of initiative. Uh, and that is, that's truly, truly, I think, a, a, um, uh, a major challenge. But when you get it, and maybe Howard, this speaks to what you said, you, you see it in small increments as people move into positions of uh, opportunity with um, with uh, with ideas. So, but I still think for 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 me and for us, it it has a lot to do with getting people in a place where they have an opportunity to weigh in on that shared vision yes. and and yeah. mission. So, and all I'm saying though, all I'm saying is that it, it, is that we shouldn't consider it a failure if a couple step up. And help pull the majority. And and what I see a lot of is, you know, and, and again, I've been doing this long enough that I try and balance wanting to inspire people to think it's possible that we can we can have it all. But I also think we can shoot ourselves in the foot if we have a couple step forward and somehow we think that that in itself is is not an example of success. If we can get a few people, and again, more the better. But if we can get a few people to help tell our story and then get others to feel encouraged that it's safe to be part of that story or to go along with the change, 
I think that's success. Well, and I think that gets to such a point. That's why I'm so interested in in Andrew's take on this because you know when you look at at a uh, you know a, an independent school, looking at these kids who, who I, mean, I mean that's a constituent audience that has a, a a considerable investment in their community. They live there. They go to school there. They I mean that is a that is investment, and I think that seems to me to be a key indicator. Uh, the the higher the degree of investment you're able to cultivate in the community, the greater greater the degree of initiative you're going to see out of the community. Well, my guess is, Andrew, that, that and, and I think it is true. I think that especially with the way you conduct your school, uh, you run your school, you, there, there is such a high focus on engagement and, you know, the, the amount of uh, faculty engagement with students that you probably see all the time a high level of participation. I think what happens as we become adults and we sort of have to get work done right. on the administrative and academic side, we fall into a way of thinking that I'm always pushing against, which is how do you think of yourself as a lifelong learner? Learner, I'm trying to get people to come back to thinking about themselves as a student. And what's so hard about that and interesting is most people get attached to here's my job. And I think what you're talking about and I talk a lot about is how do we get you to step back from – doing it the way you do it and say, how can we do it better? And I think that mindset has to do with untraining them to, to it's sort of getting back to that student mindset, which you get to see every single day right. in the, in the students you're cultivating. That's hard and it's important to do. Yeah, I think it is really hard. I, and Pete, I liked your, um, your word, the, uh, the investment piece, you know, how, yes. how is it that you invest people uh, enough of the right ways and enough of the right conversations? Part of that, I think too, Howard, is any one of us in leadership positions, um, you know, how willing are we to, um, to, 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 to take the kind of risk that we want others to take? Yes. Um, be it, you know, be it, you know, stepping out of our comfort zone and showing people that, um, you know, there, there is a great value in, um, stepping into a place in our case, in our, in our school, almost literally and, uh, and saying, Hey, this is an area that I'm not as comfortable in. And you know, it, um, the, you know, my colleagues would know it, um, uh, but I'm, you know, I'm going to put myself in a position of exposure because I know that's going to help me to grow. And how do you create an environment that's safe enough to allow people to do that? Part of the way that you do that, I think significantly so, is to do it yourself. Um, you know, I'm not saying do all the work yourself. You but mean demonstrate it. Show, show very lead, tangibly. Lead it by example. Very lead tangibly. Example. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. you know, I think that uh, getting up from our desks and, and uh, showing people that you care, being in a place where um, there's a great deal of, uh, of awareness of personal investment in for us in the classroom or in the dormitories here or wherever it might be on campus. I, I just think that, uh, that, that people respond to, um, the, the demonstration very tangibly of, um, of modeling. Uh, and it's hard to, I think, replace that. You can stand up in, in front of people and say, read this article, go to this workshop, you know, have Howard come in and, you know, and beat you about the ears. Um, but, uh, I think it's it's very very important. I think to and it's not just uh, the 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 chief leader, the president, or CFO, or CEO, or uh, or director of studies here for us. It's it's many people in many different leadership positions 
showing people that they know that they care that they're yes. they're um, they're they're going to be in that position of constant learning. Um, and I, I think there is, um, there's a great deal of, um, of power in that kind of modeling. Boy, I would have loved to have, uh, had the experience of going to boarding school. Uh, and I, and I didn't get that. Did you didn't go to boarding school? Did you Pete? I certainly did. You did. I did. Good for you. Yeah. yeah. My parents didn't know that it was, uh, you know, there was a certain, I didn't, we didn't have families and friends or that, that had the experience, but Andrew, you know, I, I would, I'd love to go to your school. Am I too old? Do you think to be a, a uh, no, no, we can, we're going to start a continuing education. Uh, <laughs> no, we'll do don't it. just make you him can, start as a freshman. Andrew, you please. Can, <laughs> you could be the first. Be, God, is that a scary time. image? That is time finding a roommate for Howard. <laughs> <laughs> and I want to I want to end the show on that message, and I almost want to just stop recording at that. But we do have to do some end notes here. Andrew Menke, thank you so much for joining us all the way from New Hampton School in New Hampshire. Anything you have going on at uh, New Hampton you want to talk to us about or send people yeah. to learn more? Uh, certainly go to the website, www.newhampton.org. Wonderful resources about the school there. And um, uh, we have graduation in two weeks. So we're very excited about that uh, event and lots of great things going on here on uh, on campus. But I'd love to have people visit the website. Outstanding. Well, thank you so much for your time today, Andrew. It's always a pleasure. Thank you very much. Howard, my friend, uh, great conversation. Thank you. Uh, you're off to Austin. Off to Austin. But, you know, I got to tell you one last thing, because I just yeah. spoke at an independent school uh, conference. It was for CFOs. It was the New Jersey Association of Independent Schools. And what's fascinating for me, more I do this with independent schools, is how easy it is to get any role on the administrative side to to connect with how much they care about the school. And, I, and it's interesting, you know, we get so caught up in our – you know, you know, especially for business officers, you know, we've got to focus on the financial sustainability. But Andrew, what's so what's so wonderful uh, in working with both your school and other schools is just seeing how easy it is for people to get personally to, to to actually present how much they care about the work. And I and I think that's one of the things, Pete. I want to see. Um, I want to see us talk more about, you know, when I'm in places is that we get people to to air how much they care and, and step back from sort of the mechanics of the work. Because I think that inspiration is what gets people to invest even more. And it's all in the background. There are some roles of these institutions that are front and center, and you can see that they live the mission on their sleeve. And then there's other roles that we have to work a little bit harder. So what you know, I work a lot, as you know, in higher education. And I think it's harder in higher ed because it's more complex. There's many more administrative functions. Independent schools have have such an opportunity to teach uh, what it is to stay connected to mission and still get our work done. So I, I love working with these schools. That's a good way to kick it off. Uh, it's a very powerful message. So thank you, everybody, for uh, tuning in. Thank you again, Andrew and Howard. On behalf of these two fantastic gentlemen, I'm Pete Wright, and we'll catch you next week on Navigating Change, the podcast from Tybal Inc. <laughs>